Good morning, everyone. Um, it's a little early, so it wasn't quite an announcement, so I won't go into a lot of detail, but just to kind of help cast some vision of, of what did take place yesterday. Um, I don't know how many there were, maybe a dozen or more of us um, were at Matt Park and just meeting neighbors, and I think it was probably, I don't know how many hundreds of pounds of food, but it had to be hundreds. There's a lot of food. And um, the goal going forward is the last Saturday of every month to begin just uh, serving our neighbors over there. So um, end of August, we're looking to do uh, school supplies and be more details to come later on that. But yeah, the goal is just to be a faithful presence uh, here in our communities, here for the homes that surround us to meet any needs that are around. And um, we had plenty of opportunities yesterday to not only meet needs, but to express the love of Jesus and the gospel to these people. And um, it was wonderful. And um, so, yeah, so just that's kind of, it's going to be ongoing. Like every month throughout the winter months, you know, Christmas and Thanksgiving, we'll have Christmas thing, Thanksgiving thing things. And so um, just stay tuned for that. But of our vision statement, you know, equipping followers of Jesus to share his love and good news with uh, our neighbors, that's what we were doing yesterday. So, uh, yeah. Today uh, is going to be the last sermon in this sermon series, People Together with God. And um, you can go to, I guess, well, we, we'll be all over the place in the, in the scriptures. I do have a slideshow today. Woohoo for me for actually doing that this week because um, I'm usually too lazy or not have time. But I, I did it this week. And uh, we're talking about good news this morning because the gospel Christianity is good news and it's still good news and I, I don't know if we talk about this enough like it's it's good news and so I, I have a couple of slides behind me um, seven or so slides of some pictures and we'll start with slide number one here I won't tell you what's going on here but Larry is going to flip through these pictures and just I'll narrate a couple of them. So this is Harry Truman, if you guys know who that guy was. Here are, that was a press conference he just gave. Here's journalists sprinting out of the press conference. Okay, they heard what Harry Truman said. Now they're running, like in full sprint. Okay, and right outside the door, here are all these people, and they're rushing to tell them some good news. Okay, you saw how, how important this was. Like they were, it was that uh, time sensitive. Like they could not wait to tell them the news. And if you keep going here, you see, look all these smiling faces. This was happening all over the world, in our country. Look at that. There was good news that came out. And that was the good news. Right? This was VJ Day. This was uh, the day the Japanese surrendered, f finalizing the end of World War II. And that was good news. And we see it was good news. It brought not just cheer, not just joy, but um, things changed, right? It was things are going to be different because of that good news. Life was going to be different in our country. Things are going to be changed. Like the future is looking better and it's looking different because of that good news. I, I'm kind of stealing uh, anything good that I ever say is, I usually steal it from somebody much smarter than me. So I'm stealing a lot of this kind of line of thinking from a, a guy named N.T. Wright. But I want to walk through this idea of news, of, you know, good news. Like this is obviously 
you know, a, a unique case of such news that the, almost everybody in the world could celebrate. If you were Germany or Japan, you weren't doing that. But for most people, it was good news, okay? Number one, um, when, we, when we think about this, this was good news for the, for the world, okay? Now, like, imagine, okay, if the journalists ran to the streets and the media and said, Harry Truman's dog was sick, but it got better. It's a different kind of news. It's not good news for Harry Truman, good news, you know, wouldn't elicit that kind of response from the world or the nation, right? Or imagine, you know, Truman announced that one of America's sports teams won the, you know, championship. Good news for America, not sure if there'd be like, you know, crowds in the streets. If you were in Brazil, you wouldn't care, right? That's not good news for the world, right? The pictures we saw here were similar to, um, you know, the events happening all over the world, showing that this news affected everybody, right? And, but but if, you, if you consider the news of that day, the Japanese surrendered, let's play a little game here. Imagine that we have a friend named Bob who is from 1850 and discovered time travel and zoomed himself to 1945 on that day, and he's walking around the streets seeing the signs of Japanese surrender, and everybody's cheering would Bob be like, oh yeah, they surrendered, of course. No, he would be like, what, we're, we were fighting Japan? Why? What was going on, right? He wouldn't have a context or a larger story to understand what, why this was good news, right? There was a larger story and framework that, that helps us to understand when we talk about good news, well, what is the good news? What's the story behind it that made it so good, right? As we talked about a minute ago, the end of World War II signaled a huge turning point in history, whereas the days ahead, there were going to now be different. It was big news. Families whose young men are overseas for years are coming home. In Europe, their neighborhoods, which were war zones, are now going to be returned back to being neighborhoods. Like, things were different. And so today's sermon is the end of our sermon series, People Together with God, we're going to be looking at the most basic, central, core message of Christianity. I mean, at the most core of our faith here. And I don't know if we, we talk about this element enough of this core message that Christianity is good news. Not was good news. Like, it, it still is good news for 2022. So let's break this down, right? And as a community of Christians, I don't want us just to be well-versed you know, for those of us who are Christians, well-versed in how to talk about the good news, like that's, you should, right? But we need to know the larger story. We need to know, you know, when Jesus showed up, like what made this good news, but we also need to be shaped by this. Our community needs to be an example of the good news as we share it so people see us and they're like, that group of people, like that's good news that they're in Wilmington, for most at least, right? That's good news. And we're gonna talk about that throughout our time today. So we're gonna begin at the beginning of Jesus's ministry in Mark chapter one. Now this is literally at the beginning. Jesus is baptized, he's tempted by Satan in the wilderness, and here's like his first words, okay? Mark 1, 14 through 15. Now John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel. That's an English word, it's an old English word that literally, if it was, you know, it comes from the Greek word meaning good news. He proclaimed the good news. When you hear the word gospel, it means good news. 
He was proclaiming good news of God and saying what? Here's the good news. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, which means turn, okay? Repent, turn and believe in the gospel. So there's good news. The kingdom of God has come. It has arrived. It is at hand. It is within reach. And so we need to turn and face towards this kingdom and believe in the good news. What is that good news? The kingdom of God has arrived. Okay, that sounds great. To hear that a kingdom has arrived first, we need to think of what that means. Number one, cut the word kingdom in half, and what do you have? You have king. There must be a king for this kingdom. If the kingdom has arrived, well, a king has arrived. Kings are political people. They rule over a body and a nation of people. But as we see, Jesus consistently turned the news into himself that he was this king who had arrived, but he began doing interesting things that you wouldn't quite expect, perhaps, if you're looking for a new king in his new kingdom. Here's some of the things that he started doing and some of the things that he said that, that the Spirit of God had actually empowered him to do. Listen to Luke chapter 4, again in the Gospel of Luke, very early in his ministry. Jesus is in his hometown in a synagogue, and here's what he says in Luke chapter 4, 16 through 21. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, it was a big scroll, no chapters and verses in those days, so he had to unroll this huge thing, and he found where it was written, and he's read from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The first thing we see about this good news is that God's very spirit empowered him to preach it. We're going to go to that at the back end of our sermon more about that. But to whom would hear this good news? Who was he sent to preach this good news? We're going to start understanding what that news really was as we dig into this. The kingdom of God is at hand. We establish that. The spirit of God anointed Jesus to preach the good news to the poor. Those who were prisoners, he declared freedom to. He proclaimed recovery of sight for the blind, to release those who were oppressed, that they would find liberation, and, and proclaim that the year of the Lord's favor had come. Straight from Jesus' mouth, straight from the book of Isaiah. Now, a normal king, you would think, would want to tell the good news to perhaps uh, maybe more powerful or influential people to kind of gather around him, right? When we have presidents in our day and we, they, they gather cabinets around them, uh, they appoint people to different government positions, they usually find smart, intelligent, capable people to have maybe influence, uh, people are already following them. You wouldn't go on the streets and find like, you know, somebody who uh, can't walk or poor or homeless or whatever and say, you're going to be my right-hand man. Like, no president has ever done that. It doesn't work that way, right? But that's the people that Jesus first went to, to start gathering around him. That's the people that he pursued. 
It was an inversion, like kings don't normally do that. King Jesus, that's what he did. He said, I'm here to tell the good news to the poor, to the prisoners, those oppressed, the blind. I want to tell them that the year of God's favor has arrived. Like it's here. The year of his favor has arrived. It's all upside down. Strange choice of people for a king to choose for his audience, but he continues on. In Luke 6, 20, Jesus said, he knows, he said, blessed are the poor, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. In Matthew, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? There's, there's an external poverty, and there's also an internal spiritual poverty. And Jesus was sent to preach to both, and on and on by the many dozens such verses could go. It was a common theme with all of this is that Jesus had good news for those whom the world tends to forget, those whom the world tends to mistreat, those in the world who uh, usually and often get taken advantage of, those oppressed or blind or imprisoned, Jesus has good news for them. Those who are in spiritual poverty within their own hearts and lives, Jesus has good news for them. Good news for those in the world who may feel that scarcely ever receive good news. Those are the ones who really understands the brokenness of this world. Those are the ones who really understand and have experienced the, the devastating effects of sin and death. Now, now, how does something like external or internal spiritual poverty or oppression or blindness, how does that, how does that happen? How, does, how do these things happen? Well, when we experience these things, okay, and the whole slew of other things come along with that, right? We recognize that not all is right in the world. Nobody sees suffering. Nobody sees hardship and says, yeah, that's how things are supposed to be. This feels like how things are supposed to be. No. We have this intuition. When, when this happens, like broken family relationships, economic maladies or, or, or poverty, physical sickness occurs, we know really quickly like this, this doesn't seem to fit. Like it seems like a puzzle piece came from a whole different puzzle and it's being, you know, jammed into, into this one and none of the little holes, it doesn't fit. Like it's, it's not a part of this life. This is supposed to be here, right? There's a straight line in life that we all desire. We desire wholeness, completeness within. We desire things in our, in our family to be well ordered and, and spouses and children and family together in their relationships, Friendships that are cohesive and together and not broken. Bodies that aren't plagued with cancer and diseases. And all of these things Jesus mentions are those who are experiencing life as a crooked line when you really desire it to be straight. All those Jesus mentions here are those who are experiencing life as a cold, stale, moldy, microwaved meal when you're really looking for a hot, fresh, juicy steak, you know, from a five-star chef. Now I'm hungry. But what was the good news? It was a reversal of that situation. Jesus, he's saying, I I'm here to reverse this stuff, guys. Like I I've come to begin the reversal of all this brokenness in this world to begin to make things right. One more time, listen to this in verse 18. The spear of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach this good news to the poor. To proclaim freedom from prisoners. prisoners. Prisoners aren't free, but he's proclaiming freedom for the prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind. He's reversing their situation. To release the oppressed. The oppressed people aren't free to be released, but he's going to release the oppressed. And all of this is taking place within the year of the Lord's favor. 
Now I'm going to look at how. Like, so when you read the Gospels, okay, you look at comes, what comes directly after. And you see Jesus, like, actually really often the Gospel writers show Jesus in action. Like, he, he preaches one thing and then does it. That's an important little piece here. Jesus didn't just say these things and then just, like, go home and play Xbox and don't, doesn't do anything, right? Like, he, he actually does it. There's no difference between his words and his actions. Right in the same chapter in verse 33, let's read this story. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Verse 35, be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The demon threw the man down before them all, came out of him without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what is this teaching? With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread. What spread? The news about him spread throughout the surrounding area, right? So this man who's possessed by an evil spirit an oppressed person, perhaps a prisoner in many ways. Do we see this here, right? He received deliverance. He received freedom. He was released from that oppression. And this shows the clash that Jesus often came up against. Two different kind of kingdoms. One very firmly in the grip of Satan and evil in this world. And this new kingdom coming from the outside, breaking into this reality through Jesus Christ. And of course, every single time, Jesus wins. And what spread about him, we said it was good, it was the news. The news that there was somebody who was oppressed, somebody who was captive, and they had been released. And word spread like wildfire. Let's continue on right over to the next chapter in Luke, beginning in chapter 5, verse 17. And we see more things happening. One day as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come to him from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, they were sitting there. The power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. I love this story. So good. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat, and they tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd... I mean, this is a packed place. The news had drawn a lot of people. Listen, look at the earnestness of this. Like, just to be really like, you know, like, uh, I don't know, to humanize this. Look at the earnestness of this man to want to get to Jesus. And as we hear this, like, think in your own life, like, am I hungry? Like, am I this earnest just to get to Jesus, knowing what he can do and the power that's with him? Like, look at this. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and lowered him on his mat through tiles into the middle of the crowd, right? Like they literally took off like the roof pieces and just like plopped this guy in front of Jesus. It's pretty amazing. When Jesus saw their faith, not just the man's faith, he's referring to the friend's faith because the friends must have believed like, yeah, let's do this. He said, friend, your sins are forgiven. 
the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And here's where the kingdom of God begins breaking into this world where things are made right. He says to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up and take your mats and go home. We won't break down everything here, right? But he heard news about this man doing amazing things. His desperation brought him before him. And the first thing was the forgiveness of sins. This is the good news that we can experience. We can experience the freedom from the burdens of our sins continually for the first time when we meet him and continually over and over 77 times seven says Jesus, we are are released from our sins through his own self-giving death. We'll get to that later in our sermon as well. We can actually get a do-over. Like the Christian life is a do-over. If you're here this morning, you want a do-over, you got one. And you get another one if you, if you stumble once again. There's grace upon grace. There's do-over upon do-over in the name of Jesus. He cleanses us from our sins. And if that wasn't enough, Jesus validated this good news that the kingdom of God is at hand by reversing this man's state who was paralyzed, who then could walk. And today he still seeks to validate his message through his people on this earth. And we'll get to that later as well. This man experienced internal wholeness and external wholeness. Both are important to Jesus. Both is part of the good news. And this is the good news. He wants to heal hearts and he wants to heal the body. That's the good news. Jesus also came altering and flipping upside down various power structures in the world that many have become skeptical of. Jesus said in Matthew 20, he said, whoever will be great among you must be your servant. Whoever will be first among you must be your servant. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In Jesus' kingdom, it was the servant that was the greatest not the master. It doesn't work like that in our world, right? In the famous words of Ricky Bobby, if you know what I'm talking about, if you ain't first, you're last, right? Some of you know that reference. I quoted Ricky Bobby in a sermon. That probably wasn't the best. Part of the breakdown today in our society is that we've, we've utterly lost trust in institutions and their leaders because we've, we've seen in our country Sadly, even in our churches, everything from CEOs to politicians, right? And even unfortunately, we said um, various churches around our country who use their authority for selfish gain at the expense of others. It's nothing new. It's been happening for millennia. Jesus came to reverse this. It doesn't work that way in his kingdom. It's upside down, right? The servant is the greater one. The lowly among us who just considers others and serves others, that is greatness in Jesus' kingdom. That is what his followers are to aspire to. In our world, it's, it's power, it's prestige, it's influence, it's money, it's whatever it might be, success, important positions, and so forth. But Jesus says, in my kingdom, greatness is actually found in those who are humbled, those who are lowly in the states, 
and those who serve others. Those are the things that shape my followers because those are the things that shaped Jesus. That is good news. I mean, when I hear that, when I think about that, wouldn't it be good news if our institutions were ran that way by people who actually considered others as more important than themselves? If our government did that, if our politicians did that, we chuckle because we're like, yeah, which one does? I don't know. You, you find one, right? Like, that would be really good news if this was happening. If the church wouldn't be about who has the best title or position or the most power, it would be a community of people who aren't wrapped up in such things. It would be a community of people serving each other, most concerned about giving God all of the glory and being graciously loving towards one another and in our community. In community. That would be good news for a people living this out. But the story of the good news is there's an interesting component that also comes into play. Because the one who preached these things, the one who was bringing in these things into this world, he suffered like a lot, greatly. Jesus was crowned as king, but with a crown of thorns. He was enthroned as king, but his throne was a cross. It was in this way that the God of all things experienced suffering not only in our behalf, not only for us, but as our high priest. He shared in the sufferings of this broken world. When you suffer, Jesus can say, I know, I know, I know what that feels like. But we know his suffering led to death. His death led to victory over death, signaling that there is a coming, there is coming an end to our greatest enemy in this world, death. And even more so, he sent his Holy Spirit in the world to empower his followers. And we, this is when things become practical in this good news, right? We are empowered by the Spirit to carry out this good news of Jesus' life, of his sufferings, his death for our sins, and his resurrection. We see this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Talking to his disciples after he was raised from the dead, you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Sumeria and to the ends of the earth. It was the Holy Spirit who anointed Jesus to preach the good news to the poor, to the oppressed, to the blind, whether physical and even spiritual, right? It was the power of the Spirit who filled Jesus to minister, to deliver people from evil, to, to love, to have compassion on the crowds. It was the Holy Spirit who would be then anointing his followers to do the same work, to carry out this witness that the kingdom of God is still breaking into this world through us by the power of the Spirit. Now, every community in this world experiences devastation from sin, from bo brokenness, from suffering, and from death. And the good news for the world, I mean, for the world, like it's not just for this culture or this people or just like, this is still good news for the world. The good news is that all of these Old Testament prophets who look forward to a more, a, 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 a favorable time when, when God would send his Christ into the world to begin his grand redemption plan, like it's happened. It's happened. God became king. He suffered alongside of us and he rose from the dead and we are to carry it out. But there's the truth, right? There's a, there's a line in the sand, if you will, that there's, there's one way to know God and it's through Jesus. 
He once and for all established that. And thus, who knows Jesus, it becomes a matter of who then knows God and who does not know God. Right? And this is the last stage in history. So this, this is good news. God, Peter talks about that God has prolonged this time because he desires more people to come to meet him. But there's no other stage after this. The line is drawn when Christ ascended. He showed himself, I am the son of God. To know God is going to be through me. But if you pay attention to the sermons preached by Peter, Paul, and the others in the book of Acts, it's like storytelling. Really, like if you, the Sermon of Stephen, the longest sermon in the Bible, they're telling a story. They're telling a story about God's people throughout history, what he has been doing. Um, in some cases, in Paul, he told uh, stories to those who weren't Jewish and had no knowledge of, you know, the God of the Bible. He told a story a slightly different way. But they all told a story, basically saying like it, it, there were times past when there wasn't redemption available for sin and for death, but God sent one into this world to, to show us that he, he loves us, that he paid for our sins, and that there's no other salvation except through him. That he, he is the one from God. He is both Lord, he is both Christ, and all the prophets look forward to this, and he came and he is calling all people to himself, saying, know me and find life. That is the sermons that just happen over and over, and often when this story is told, that the Holy Spirit just falls on people and it's validated and showing like, yes, he is still coming into this world. And throughout with the apostles' ministry, they were just accompanied by all of these signs, what the Bible calls signs and wonders. It's these miraculous things happening, showing the kingdom is breaking in. Like the fullness of time is coming and is still coming. Guys, this is the good news that we are given. Listen to Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14, how Paul talks about this good news. He says, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. As we kind of start descending in our sermon here, I want to have some challenges for us today. I'm trying to present to you the gospel as a newspaper headline, right? Like, news! This is good news. Something happened. It's not in the distant past, but it's still happening. Like this Jesus we're talking about still available. His presence is still available for us today. Just like those crowds in those early pictures in VJ Day, we're still carrying around the good news. We still have something to announce that Jesus is real and he loves us and his salvation is available. But as a church, we are a witness to this good news, you and I. And to be a witness of it, people should learn of the good news through us. When, when, when this doesn't happen, when there is a gap between our sharing of the gospel and our own lives being shaped by the gospel, people won't believe the message. They won't see it. They'll hear it. 
perhaps the Spirit of God often sometimes uses the pure message regardless of our own sins and imperfections. I, I understand that, right? But in our post-Christian nation, more and more and more people are looking for Christians to actually be living this out rather than just talking about it. The time has come. It always has been, but especially now. I just sat with somebody yesterday. I had a long walk with them. They literally said, I've been in the church in 20 years because I got sick of hearing about how great and wonderful this person's church was. I just, I just wanted to hear about Jesus and I couldn't find anybody that talked about him. So I just quit going to church. I'm like, wow, some punch in the gut. Take it that I was there from a church and there was already a skepticism of like, ah, oh, thanks, but I'm kind of done with that. Guys, let's, let's bridge this gap. If we are not in relationship with those around us, that we're, if we're not carrying their burdens as a church, just like Jesus carried the people's burdens that he approached, then what are we doing? What kind of announcement are we making if our lives aren't shaped by the message that we are speaking? I wanna, I wanna read this quote. I think it's from behind us here from a theologian named John Colwell. This is what he says. He says, the gospel story defines the life of the Christian and the life of the church. While the life of the church and the life of the Christian is correspondingly, listen to this, a retelling and a re, re, and reinterpreting of that gospel story. The world, listen to this, the world has no access to the gospel story other than as it is narrated in the life and worship and proclamation of the church. I'm going to read that one more time because it really needs to hit home for us. The world has no access to the gospel story other than as it is narrated in the life and worship and proclamation of the church. Through its service as being as witness, the church is a rendering of the gospel to the world. That needs to settle deep in our hearts, friends. Is that our story as Christians? Is that our story as a church to the city of Wilmington? I'm telling you, like, people want to hear good news, and we have it. Yesterday, people wanted to hear the good news of Jesus. It's still good news, and we are, I, I literally saw some of you, like, you know who you are in this room, like, you were weeping with people who were weeping yesterday as they shared their story. I watched you do that, friends. That is what I'm talking about. You are taking on their tears as your own and in compassion praying for them and just listening to them. That's what we're called to do. And those people walked away hearing the good news. Friends, that's what Jesus did. That has a fragrance of Christ. Thank you for that. Let it be what our church is known as doing. We must know that this is what the Spirit of God wants. Like this is why, this is what Jesus was anointed to do from the Spirit, is to do this very kind of thing. It's what the Spirit of God is longing for us to do. So as we close, I'm gonna tell a story that I, I think um, really amplifies this and shows this. It's a true story from uh, a guy named Tony Campolo. He's a former pastor. He was now a professor at Eastern University. He, he shares this story of how, we, uh, how he found himself stuck once at 3.30 a.m. in Honolulu, waiting, wanting a bite and something to eat. Nothing was open except this little small di diner, very run down, not in the best part of town, not the cleanest place, but it was all he could find. 
So he walks in, meets the gruff waiter named Harry, who was also the owner. His wife was in the back helping to cook food. He orders a coffee and a donut. The place was empty at this point. But suddenly, a group of nine uh, uh, very provocatively dressed women walk in. Uh, clearly, they were prostitutes. They sat all around him, because there's not that many seats in the place, and they were just you know, speaking loudly and crudely, very rudely, and he kind of felt uncomfortable. It was a centering leaving, but he hears one of the women say, tomorrow is my birthday, I'm turning 39. And instantly the women started making fun of her, saying like, ah, you know, who cares, birthday, why are you telling us this? And the woman said, okay, fine, leave me alone. You know, I haven't had a birthday party ever in my life. That's why I mentioned it. I just wanted to say that. This is Tony's words, speaking at this point. When I heard that, this is Tony, right, sitting there, I made a decision. I sat and waited until the women had left. Then I called over the guy behind the counter, Harry, and I asked him, they, how often did they come in here? Every night, he said. The one right next to me, does she come here every night? Who, it was her birthday the following day. Yeah, he said, that's Agnes. She comes in here every night. Why do you want to know? Because I heard her say that tomorrow is her birthday, I told him. What do you say that you and I do something about that? What do you think about us throwing a birthday party for her right here tomorrow night? He schemes with the diner owner how to do this. The owner, Harry, he bakes a cake. Tony shows up the next morning at 2.30 a.m. with decorations. Harry's wife in the back gets word of this and knows some of the other women. And at 3.15, like all the prostitutes in the city basically shove themselves in this little diner. And there's Tony, right? And at 3.30, on the dot, the door of the owner, the, the door of the diner swings open and in comes Agnes and her friend. This is Tony talking now. I had everybody ready, and when they came in, we all screamed, happy birthday. Never have I seen a person so flabbergasted, so stunned, and so shaken. Her mouth fell open. Her legs seemed to buckle a bit. Her friend grabbed her arm to steady her. As she was led to sit on one of the stools across the counter, we all sang happy birthday to her. As we came to an end of our singing with happy birthday, dear Agnes, happy birthday to you, her eyes moistened. Then when the birthday cake, all the candles on it was carried out, she lost it and just openly cried. Agnes looks down at the cake. Without taking her eyes off of it, she slowly and softly said, is it okay? Is it okay if I can keep this cake for a little while? Can I just take it home? I live just a few doors down. She says, I'll be right back. I'm honest. And so she leaves with the cake, carrying it like it was a holy grail. And she walked slowly out of the door. And we all just stood there motionless. When the door closed, there was a stunned silence in the place. Not knowing what else to do, I broke the silence by saying, can we pray? Looking back on it now, it seemed really strange for, he was a sociologist at the time, uh, to be leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes in a diner at 3.30 in the morning in Honolulu, but it felt just like the right thing to do. I prayed for Agnes. I prayed for her salvation as I shared the gospel with those in this room. I prayed that her life would be changed and that God would be good to her, that favor would come upon her. When I finished, Harry leaned over the counter, the waiter, with a trace of hostility in his voice said, hey, you never told me you were a preacher type. What kind of church do you belong to? In one of those moments when just the right words came, I answered, 
Well, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> Harry, you waited a moment. Then he almost sneered as he answers, no, you don't. There's no church like that. If there was, I'd join it. I would be a part of a church like that. I know it's a crazy story. Like you probably got goosebumps here and that. It's a moving, deeply beautiful story. But could that kind of grace be said of us, friends? Could we be people who are bringing that kind of miraculous grace to people's lives that so desperately need it? I pray that we can truly embody this good news. That's what Jesus did in his ministries, right? That we can just be enthusiastically bringing this to our communities, just like those people in those slides announced in the end of World War II. Let us once again celebrate this good news and be willing to share it. I want to call um, our worship team up for the back end of our time. This is our ministry time, we call it, every single Sunday. You know, I hope this is, this is um, appealing to you in this room, right? Like you hear this, whether you've been walking with Jesus or you're, you know, not in the faith or just freshly in the faith, and you, you hear this portrait of Jesus. You see this kind of ministry that he, that he called good news, and we, we see the church in the book of Acts, like, you know, embodying this stuff as they're just sharing their resources and loving each other and just out in the streets, just, you know, seeing God show up and healing people miraculously, just all this amazing, compassionate, loving, generous ministry stuff, and we see that, and we say, like, I, I really kind of want that. Like, I, I want to be shaped by that. Now, we know that it's not good news for everybody. Some people don't want to give up their stuff. Some people don't want to totally surrender themselves to a different Lord and a different king. As we see the apostles, they got a lot of hostility thrown against them. It's not good news for everybody, but for those who are lowly in spirit, those who are at bottom, those who are poor in spirit and are hungry and thirsty for something else in this life, some other good news in this world can provide. It still is good news. And I'm telling you, friends, our community is full of people looking for it. I want to just spend a few minutes praying for this, but just ask you in our time, we have people available for prayer up front. Like, that you would pray for an, an, an empowerment if you're walking with Jesus this morning, that you would seek just a, a new and fresh filling of the Spirit, because maybe there's people in your life right now that are in those kind of seasons in life where they're just, they're looking for some other good news out there, and God has uniquely positioned you as a friend or a family member in their life to, to, to both share the good news and to embody the good news with grace and love and compassion. And maybe there's somebody in your mind right now where you know that this week is just the week where it's time that you do so, that you just in a generous and compassionate spirit reach out to them. And I would love you to either stay in your chairs or come forward and let us pray with you for that new, fresh, just empowerment for this, from the spirit. If you're here and you're just kind of new to the faith or just curious about it and all this really is good news like it's it's not it's always the day to to enter into this for the very first time but this good news could then be your good news that he could provide healing and restoration and wholeness and repair that he could begin to, you know, bring an inversion and, and, and start repairing all the brokenness in your own life that you, that you maybe have brought in this room, that he's ready to take that baggage off of your shoulders and give you his yoke, which is light and which is easy.
I would ask that you either stay in your seats and reach for somebody to come forward with prayer as well. And for all of our hearts, as we think about this church, that we would just, we would be filled with the Spirit in order that we would embody this good news. That I would hear just stories like we saw yesterday continually of what God is doing through us as we are carrying this out as ambassadors to our city. So let me pray. We have one more song and we'll have people available for prayer. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come into this room right now. Lord, in the peace and and silence, Lord, that we're before you right now. Lord, give us open ears, Lord, to hear your voice. Would you soften our hearts that your seeds may take root and grow? Lord, will we take seriously this call to be ambassadors, as 2 Corinthians 5 says. Lord, this call to be witness as you gave to your apostles, Lord. We ask that you would come, Holy Spirit, to empower us for this purpose, Lord, in a city and a nation that's so just desperately looking for some good news somewhere, Lord. Your kingdom is still breaking into this world, and there's still time for people to meet you, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, would you come into our hearts? Would you come into those in this room, Lord? Do a work this morning, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen.